This podcast deals with mature themes that are intended for an adult audience. The information in this show could be triggering and cause distress for some viewers. If you feel in distress, please seek out help. Please take care in listening. Welcome back to the Relationship Review, and I'm so honored to welcome you back here with me in my brave space. Today's episode delves into the world of consensual non-monogamy. If you're in a monogamous relationship right now, and you believe that monogamy is the only valid relationship choice, or the only choice for a successful relationship, then I need you to know that you might struggle listening to this episode. I need you to know right now, before I start talking with this episode, that it's not, that my goal here is not to turn you non-monogamous. My goal is not to guilt you for being monogamous. My goal in this episode is to create awareness that consensual non-monogamy is a valid relationship choice and to provide education on a topic that's not often covered. I want to invite you to open your heart to love in all its forms and understand that difference is okay, but that your discomfort with difference is also okay. This is a brave space that you've entered and I might be challenging you to be braver than you've ever been. I want you to sit back quietly, breathe deeply in and breathe deeply out. I'd like you to move yourself into a space of peace. Breathe in peace. Breathe out peace. I also want you to access your sense of curiosity. What makes you curious? What does it feel like to be curious? Where do you feel that curiosity in your body? Sit with that feeling for a moment. Deep breathe in and out. And now let's begin with a case study. Cassie, age 28, and Nathan, age 29, have been together for a very long time. They knew each other in childhood, started dating in high school, continued to university together, and got married. They've had a very close relationship, a very close friendship, for the past 10 years, and they share many common interests. Cassie has known a lot of her life that she was interested in women, but due to living in a monogamous relationship for all her romantic life, wasn't able to explore that side of herself. Nathan suggested that they open their marriage to allow for Cassie to explore a relationship with a female. They had a friend in common that they were both interested in and felt that she would be open to a relationship with Cassie at the very least. Cassie and Nathan have come to counseling because they're worried that this decision reflects difficulties in their relationship and they've been unable to identify it. They don't know if this is an ethical decision and want to discuss in a safe environment. So Cassie and Nathan are considering delving into the world of consensual non-monogamy. Consensual non-monogamy is an umbrella term encompassing multiple relationship styles. These styles are swinging. So if Kathy and Nathan, Cassie and Nathan each explore sexually outside the relationship, 
two is open relationships, where Cassie and Nathan each seek independent relationships outside of the marriage, and polyamory, which is where Cassie and Nathan have a partner which they share romantically and sexually, or only one of them has a partner. We're going to go into more detail on polyamory later. Open relationships and swinging situations maintain strong emotional intimacy with the primary relationship. This means that the original dyad, the original couple, maintain a strong emotional connection and the rest is non-emotional. Polyamory, on the other hand, emphasizes intimate emotional connections with multiple people. To truly understand consensual non-monogamy, we must clearly understand the definition of consent. Interestingly, one of the studies I reviewed for this episode found that non-monogamous individuals had a more detailed and rich definition of consent than monogamous individuals. So I'm going to take my definition of consent from the National Coalition for Sexual Freedoms pamphlet on consent for non-monogamy. Consent is the mutual creation of the agreed yes. Consent is not the absence of no. Consent can be withdrawn at any time in any way. Current consent does not imply future consent. Consent to one thing does not mean consent to everything related to that one thing. It means consent to that one thing. If you sense discomfort in the situation, stop and check consent. Make sure that everyone has the same definition of consent. Consent is having enough information to know what you're agreeing to. Consent is not needed to justify revising or withdrawing the consent before actions are withdrawn. How we define consent is essential in any situation. A respectful, open, and accepting environment. People who practice consensual non-monogamy and polyamory successfully have a very good grasp on the definition of consent. Rules of the relationship need to be explicit, detailed, and revisited often. Consent is not a static event. It's an ongoing process throughout the relationship. If you do something that you don't feel you can tell your partner about, or anything that would make them unhappy, this is an indication that the rules of the relationship need to be revisited for new consent. Polyamory is a form of consensual non-monogamy. The word polyamory comes from the Greek and Latin words for many loves. The word is becoming more familiar to the average Joe because there's more public awareness about polyamory than other forms of consensual non-monogamy. A person practicing polyamory is open to having more than one romantic relationship at a time with the knowledge and consent of their partners. Everyone in the relationship agrees that it's okay for everyone to have other romantic partners. It's a form of relationship that's been around for a long time and it's common across many cultures. Within the community, it seems to be viewed most favorably, but outside the community, it's viewed as being the same as swinging and open relationships. Most people who are monogamous without a lot of pre-existing knowledge about polyamory see it as being sexual. We can't discount the role of sex in these relationships because the sex is real and a valuable aspect of polyamory. Sex is also an essential aspect of humanity and monogamous relationships, so I will not undervalue the role of sex. Those who practice polyamory see a strong emotional connection with all partners as being an essential part of practice. 
It is the allowance for multiple romantic partnerships. And great sex is just a great outcome. Polyamory is not the same as polygamy. Polygamy is associated with multiple marriages, and it's not legal in many places. Polyamory is not illegal. Polyamory is not cheating. I'm going to do a separate episode on infidelity a few episodes from now specifically because I don't want polyamory associated with cheating in any way. They're completely different things. I want to quote one of the original polyamory advocates, Franklin Vo. He's been writing about polyamorous relationships since about 1997, and he wrote the book More Than Two, which is one of the, if not the, first guidebooks to ethical polyamory. The other well-known guidebook is called The Ethical Slut by Easton and Hardy. Mr. Vo gives the very raw and down-to-earth definition of infidelity in the context of polyamory. <clears throat> Quote, if you are married and you have a girlfriend that your wife doesn't know about or that your wife suspects but isn't sure about or that your wife knows about but isn't happy with, you're not poly, you're cheating. Similarly, if you're banging the milkman while your husband is out of town, you're not poly, you're cheating. End quote. <laughs> I highly recommend this book. It's practically laid out and well thought out, and it's easily understood for anyone, whether you're choosing this kind of relationship or not. People who practice polyamory believe that it's not fair to ask one person to be everything for another. We expect our perfect partner to have all the best qualities, the looks, kindness, a sense of humor, financial stability. Our partner must offer us great sex, comfort, security, and a host of other expectations to meet the standard of being the one. And there's the accompanying expectation that we have to keep our partner's interests throughout the life of the relationship or else risk our partner being unhappy or leaving us. So this got me thinking more about the concept of soulmates, the one. Where does this belief actually come from? Well, an early use of the word soulmates comes from the 1800s to simply mean that a partnership must have a spiritual connection to be successful. Unsurprisingly, our modern concept of the one is rooted in old Christianity where monogamy is the only option. And when we're in a relationship and we've found the one, so we dare not leave it because there'll be no more love for us out there. The idea that there's no more love for us out there is called the myth of scarcity. This is where we believe that finding romantic love is rare and it's difficult. So when we find a partner, no matter what, we must hold on tight or be doomed to look for love forever. Right. Those of us who've had multiple marriages know that the myth of scarcity is definitely not accurate. So if you feel love for another person while you're in a relationship, this shows that you aren't actually in love with your partner and there's something wrong with the relationship, right? Right? And, and there must be something wrong with you and your love for your partner if you feel attraction toward another human, right? Unfortunately, guys, the physical processes that cause attraction, like dopamine and norepinephrine, don't just turn off once we sign the marriage papers. Our brains may recognize monogamy, but our bodies don't. It's okay and normal to feel attraction to other people. Monogamy is an active choice, not a natural state. Monogamy is a choice and is one that many expect to be made once and once only. At the start of a relationship, we make the choice to commit to our partner. That's it. 
discussion closed for what could be 20, 30, 40 years. We don't expect to need to have ongoing discussions about monogamy, about how hard it can be. Those who embrace consensual non-monogamy believe that monogamy is a discussion that's best held throughout the relationship, with recommitments at different points, which occur after some deep emotional discussion. I want to highlight here that infidelity outside of the agreements in the relationship is not an excuse here. It's something that's taken just as seriously as is taken for those who are monogamous. So I don't feel like it's up to me to judge the definition of success for another human's relationship. I also don't want to use the word success to refer to a relationship, but I also don't want to say positive polyamory relationships a ton of times. Say that 10 times fast. So I'm going to use the word success here. People who successfully practice polyamory don't look at it as free love, as being a free for all. It's not a license to go and have sex with all the people all the time. There's rules that guide these relationships. The rules are collaboratively created in the relationship and formed within a strong definition and context of consent. The rules of the relationship are often revised and revisited throughout the life of the relationship and with the addition of each new partner. A breach of these rules is taken very seriously, just as seriously as those who are monogamous would take infidelity. So what kind of rules do people who practice polyamory follow? Practice polyamory follow. There's another one to say 10 times fast. Well, all joking aside, it really depends on the structure of the relationship. There's many setups of what a polyamory relationship can look like. The common thread amongst all of them is that it's based in whatever works best for the couple, the partners, every member of the relationship, and that the structure can be renegotiated throughout the life of the relationship. The most common form of relationship has a defined hierarchy structure, having primary partners who could be living together, sharing finances and raising children. This primary partnership is the core of all the relationships, and if it's in jeopardy, then the rest of the relationships will suffer. Many who follow this structure will withdraw from other relationships to work on the core relationship if there are issues. Some people who practice polyamory don't believe in hierarchy at all and believe that all relationships are made equal. There's some V-style relationships where all three partners can have a relationship with one another or one individual can have a relationship with two others, but those other two don't have a relationship with each other. Following? It's okay if you're not entirely. Poly people joke that some V's are called the unicorn relationship because the male and female partner are looking for the token bisexual female that wants to be in a relationship with both members of the couple. And this is a rarity to find. There's some versions called polyfidelity relationships. This is where the relationship is a three-way or more way than that closed relationship where the individuals within that system cannot take on an outside lover. Again, a rule agreed upon by all members of the relationship. Some may permit outside relationships, but only if they're previously approved by the original partner. The great thing about polyamorous people is that they're flexible enough to understand that there doesn't have to be a global code or standard rules to be polyamorous. The rules and limits are set by the people who must live those relationships every day and know what works best for them. 
there's no ambiguous rules set out by an outsider who's no who knows nothing about how they live. The only overall rule really is that the rules you set should be ethical and considering the emotional well-being of all parties involved in the relationship. So obviously there's a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of arguments against polyamory. Unsurprisingly, studies show that people who hold more traditional beliefs, political conservatism and, re and religiousness, have more judgments toward this relationship style than those who have prior exposure or knowledge about polyamory. This is not the case for everyone, but in general, this is the trend we see. These relationships, polyamory, are viewed widely as being less acceptable, less sexually satisfying, risky, and unsatisfying. But studies are showing again and again that none of these things are true, and that non-monogamous people, especially those who practice polyamory, report that their relationships are more emotionally intimate, and that they're more likely to engage in regular STI HIV AIDS testing because of the nature of their relationship style compared to their monogamous peers. Consensual non-monogamy is associated with a higher risk of contracting STI, HIV, and AIDS, but evidence now suggests that this is simply not true. Mental health professionals are just as guilty of adopting stigma toward non-monogamous relationships, and some have shown willingness to discourage clients from engaging in consensual non-monogamy. In my 10 years plus of working in the mental health field, and for a lot of different organizations, I have been advised, encouraged, and urged to steer clients away from consensual non-monogamy. This was coming from my career mentors and supervisors. I know now that this is an incorrect approach and that for most of the cases, the client's reason for seeking care with me was due to an underlying mental health issue, not because of how they loved. Polyamorous relationships are seen as less committed and less focused. When we know now that it takes a lot of talent and commitment to manage multiple romantic relationships, it's hard for some of us to manage one. Some believe that if you love another person, you won't have enough love to give to another. This is called the starvation model of love. This argument doesn't work though, because those who, of us who have multiple children, we know we have enough love for all of them. So polyamory, it's just a way for a guy to get multiple women, right? It's a massively disrespectful thing to women, right? I mean, I've seen TLC and that whole sister wives thing. No, this isn't what polyamory is about. What this is, is a man who is able to have multiple female partners, but the female is not allowed to have more than one male partner. In some societies where this is practiced, women are considered property. This is called polygyny, P-O-L-Y-G-Y-N-Y. And I need to very seriously stress that this is not the perspective of those who practice polyamory. In ethical polyamorous relationships, the same opportunities are afforded to everyone. It's not about owning your female partner or a guy creating a collection of women to have sex with whenever he wants to. Polyamory is about sharing your love with others and wanting your partner to share their love with others because you both recognize that you have a lot of great love to share. Okay, well, jealousy must absolutely destroy these folks every day, right? Nah, the green-eyed monster. Jealousy. This is a very normal human emotion and an okay emotion to have from time to time. Jealousy is not a primary emotion, though. What this means is that there is always an underlying emotion behind the jealousy. 
most commonly, that underlying emotion is anxiety stemming from insecurity. The online blog that accompanies the more than two books gives a really nice overview of jealousy that works in any kind of relationship. Quote, jealousy is most common when somebody feels insecure, mistreated, threatened, or vulnerable in a relationship. If you feel secure in a relationship, you don't get jealous. Jealousy is not the problem. Jealousy is the symptom of the problem. End quote. Feelings of vulnerability that come from jealousy stem from thoughts of, I'm not enough, or if my partner meets someone who's better than me, someone who can give them more than me, they're going to leave me. But why do we expect our partners to have to give us everything and be everything? Is that fair? People who aren't monogamous absolutely experience jealousy, but no more often, and sometimes less often, than someone who's monogamous. The key to addressing jealousy is to understand why it's happening. What's the underlying reason? Ask yourself, why am I jealous? There could be a lot of reasons for this. Fear that your partner is going to leave you because you're, what, damaged? Too much? Fear that you aren't enough for them? Not skinny enough, not built enough, getting rolls, getting wrinkles, getting saggy. Fear that you aren't good enough at sex, not young enough. List goes on and on. And these are such tough beliefs to manage and can be so damaging to the spirit. Are any of these beliefs rational? And who are these beliefs serving? Most of the time, these beliefs are irrational and only serving to hurt yourself. Is the jealousy coming from memories that are being triggered? Were you raised in a household that valued toxic masculinity? Jealousy being triggered by old baggage is also very common. It happens all the time that people who are non-monogamous have problems in their relationship and they're using a new relationship to avoid dealing with the old one. In this case, jealousy is serving the relationship. Jealousy, again, is a normal response, but just like other emotions that are normal responses, like anxiety, it can occur too often and for the incorrect reasons. No matter how jealous you are, though, Jealousy is not the result of your partner acting in a certain way. Jealousy is the result of multiple internal processes within yourself. The processes are strange, intense, and can be scary, and they're to be taken seriously. Jealousy needs to be addressed when it rears its ugly head, or it can fester and utterly destroy a relationship, monogamous or non-monogamous. Poly people share that they experience an emotion called compersion which is when they experience happiness at seeing their partner happy with another person. They believe that compersion is a strong counteracting effect to jealousy. I love the term compersion and the definition of it and the word was created in such a playful, loving way. Um, compersion, seeing my partner happy with another. It's very interesting. Individuals who practice polyamory believe that poly relationships in particular need to have a high level of security and trust because even a small amount of insecurity can have multiple consequences to multiple people. This is why it's so important to talk about our insecurities. This is a lesson that monogamous individuals can take from polyamory. If we talk to our partner openly about our fears for ourselves or for the relationship immediately and completely transparently, it takes the power away from that fear. Not to mention it increases intimacy with our partner, helps them to feel included in your world, and allows them to be your support. 
which is kind of why we get into relationships in the first place, right? I think that if more monogamous couples were to adopt the level of open communication polyamorous relationships require, we'd see a lot more successful monogamy. The tendency toward polyamory just means that the person is in an unhealthy relationship and is too afraid to admit this to themselves, right? Perhaps. And this is the case sometimes, but the experience, the documented experience of thousands of people who live this life for years suggests that healthy and successful polyamorous relationships are happening all the time. Consensual non-monogamy is here to stay, folks, with incidences of it increasing every year. Current studies show that 5% of the U.S. population are engaging in consensual non-monogamy. But I honestly think that the number is much higher because people are too afraid to self-disclose. Stigma aside, polyamory is not easy, and the challenges vary depending on the structure of the relationship. V relationships, for example, can be tricky for the person entering the relationship because they may feel that they have more at stake in losing the relationship because the core couple has already established themselves. If the individual entering the relationship is bisexual, there may be an unwritten expectation that they will both be romantically and sexually involved with the partners, even though they may only have sexual feelings for one of them. These concerns can be addressed by strong and clear communication of expectations before the relationship begins. There's also needs to be an important understanding that relationships with each member of the couple begin and develop differently and at different rates, so patience is a must. You also can't expect to start a relationship with one member of the couple and then completely avoid the other member. You don't have to be romantically or sexually involved with the other member, but you have to have a relationship with them in some way to respect your partner. Scheduling can be a real headache. A suggestion from more than two is that highly organized poly individuals maintain a schedule of date nights or whom is sharing a bed with whom if they live under the same roof. It's very important to poly people that they share a fair amount of time to be emotionally and physically intimate with all of their partners. This headache doesn't happen as often as you'd think, though especially if your other partners get along with each other. And poly people can naturally have a social nature, so really enjoying the experience of spending time with all the partners together can be really beneficial. People in poly relationships tackle scheduling and time management in the same way that we tackle schedule management with work, meals, deadlines, and extracurriculars. According to the More Than Two blog, Google Calendars is the gold standard of organization for poly systems. Building a strong relationship, be it emotional or friendship, with your partner's other partner is a great tool in the polyamory toolkit because you'll mean you'll have more time together. Unfortunately, the biggest difficulty with polyamory is still the stigma that is associated with it. Monogamy is privileged in society. Now, I'm not using the big P word to make anyone feel guilty. Monogamy is a valid choice, but there are real world consequences for those who choose to love differently, and they aren't fun. As a monogamous person, you can check into a hotel with two people and share one bed. You can't do the same with more than two. For social functions, you're often permitted to bring one person, you're plus one. You don't have to worry that Child Protective Services is going to be called on you for how you love. Child custody is a major worry for people with children who practice polyamory. 
even though research shows that children who grow up in polyamory families are just as well adjusted as those who don't. Polyamorous families insist, and research is supporting, that there's many benefits to raising children in poly families, like shared financial responsibilities, shared childcare, and more emotional support. I remember reading more than two years ago, and I really struggled with how children would process growing up in a poly family. He actually has a chapter devoted to this topic, and I was pleased to read that the majority of children report that they loved growing up in a large family, and that there was a lot of love in the house, and more adults who loved them around, and that there was begrudgingly more homework help. You aren't judged as being promiscuous for being monogamous. You can proudly show off your monogamous partner of 10 years, but a polyamorous individual can't show off their partner who they may have shared the same number of years with. People choose polyamory for a number of reasons. Some choose it because they believe that they have a lot of love to share. Some choose it because they don't believe in living under the constraints of monogamy. A lot of people like the community aspect of it. A lot of people with a lot of love in one place. Some bisexual individuals really appreciate polyamory because it allows them to tap into the aspects of themselves that they want in a romantic relationship and great sex with both men and women. For a few, polyamory offers a way for them to accommodate romantic feels that they're feeling for another person within a monogamous relationship, provided their partner is on board. Some choose polyamory because it just speaks to them. A minority of researchers are suggesting that consensual non-monogamy overall could become more common because people are living longer. Asexual individuals are those who don't experience sexual attraction and don't desire sexual attention. Some of them find a happy home in polyamory because of its strong focus on romantic connection. Polyamory allows these individuals to have romantic relationships without the pressures of sex because that role is already being fulfilled by another partner. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that polyamory is the answer for asexuality because that is not my role to suggest an answer for anything and there's nothing wrong with asexuality. But I do want to acknowledge that this is a happy home that many who are asexual have found. People who are non-monogamous are not enlightened, are not woke, more egalitarian, or more advanced than those who are monogamous. They are not devious. They are not incapable of commitment. They are not childish, slutty, or damaged. They have simply chosen a different relationship style. Non-monogamy is absolutely a valid relationship style choice, but it's only valid if the all partners you are sharing this life with also believes that it's valid. One person begrudgingly giving in to non-monogamy because they think they're on the last leg of their relationship is not ethical non-monogamy. If you're listening to this episode and think to yourself, nope, there's no way I would ever choose this relationship, that's totally okay. Non-monogamy is not for everyone. Monogamy isn't for everyone. Everyone is different. What isn't okay is stigmatizing another human for who they love and how they love. People who have to cope with stigma face multiple negative incomes, chronic stress, mental and physical stress, and low levels of relationship success. All this because of who and how they love? Really? However, if you listen to this episode, and you're interested to learn more, I encourage you to do more reading. I have my references for the show available on demand to you. 
I want to sincerely thank you for listening to this episode today and for keeping an open mind and an open heart. If you have more questions about consensual non-monogamy or polyamory, I'm happy to answer them. Thanks for riding along with me in this brave space, and I'll see you again soon. 